Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 100 of Just the Fitness Tip with Michael Ujoa and Jason Ald, Edinburgh's number one fitness podcast. Now, today isn't just any old episode of Just the Fitness Tip, it is our 100th episode. And to mark this very special occasion, we are joined today by an incredibly exciting guest who we have both wanted on the show for a very, very long time. We've often asked our followers for any guest recommendations, and without fail, today's guest name is mentioned every single time. Both Jason and I grew up watching him on television, and to say that we've both been looking forward to today, well, I think that would be a massive understatement. So before I stumble my words too much in anticipation, uh, I would like to introduce the health and fitness legend, the one, the only, Derek Evans, aka Mr. Motivator. Derek, welcome to the show. How are you doing? The crowd I'm goes wild. The, I'm, I'm in the house. I'm in the house. <laughs> Thank you hounded. for joining us. I was hounded. And after being hounded, how could I say no? And I, I said this before, I'll say it again. Hard work pays off, right? <laughs> it, it does. You know what actually got me in the house, Jason? Tell they me. Told me. They told me that you were going to get dressed as me. Because <laughs> if, if, I, if, if I didn't. And, uh, and, and so I thought, I've got to go in the house. Stop it now. Yeah. I've got to save the people from that. And I'm sure the people are very thankful. <laughs> I hear you. But anyway, good to meet you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I think we should probably get out of the way first. Have you seen Wayne's World? I have, yes. You know the bit with Alice Cooper, like, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. (laughs) We're doing it now, we're doing it now. And then we should also probably say, do we call you Derek? I feel a little bit like... You know when someone's earned a, a PhD or a knighthood, you don't call them Mister something. I feel like Derek would be too, you know, too familiar. I feel like Mister Mover. Most people don't know who Derek is at all. So either Mister M, Moat, Motivator, anything you like. Yeah, I like Honestly, Moat. It doesn't really matter. Moat. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Moat. It's Moat. <laughs> okay, all right, Moat. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And I apologize for hounding you, Derek, but we are, we honestly, we have wanted you on the show for a long time. Me and Jason have been big followers of you for a while as well. And yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to talk to you. You've got such a colorful history and we, we would, we're looking forward to hearing a bit more about your career in the industry, what's kind of brought you up until this point. So I guess like, I'm sure everyone listening knows who you are, especially all of our UK listeners, but Mm. we would, we were discussing the show before we came on and we're thinking like, it's quite, when we introduce people on the show, it's quite easy for us to kind of give them like, this is what they are. This is what they do with their job and their career. But with you, it's a little bit different, I think. So, so what we thought we would get you to introduce yourself and tell us like, how would you describe yourself and your career up until this point? Well, you know, I think every single person's life story can be an inspiration to others. You guys can be an inspiration. You know, I think often we tend to hide our light under a cloud and when in fact we should be letting ourselves let loose and the journey I've had has been a very checkered journey and in fact most people don't know where I originated from and what I've been through because people tend to judge you based on the car they see you in they forget that before that you were you know on a three-wheeler or you're still learning to balance and my life has really you know it started in Jamaica being given away at three months of age arriving in the UK in 62 and doing my schooling here and and then you know the church was a really important part of my life boys brigade was really important uh the messages 
that came from the Boys Brigade were important to me. They were the foundation stone for what really kind of makes me who I am. Um, I became a dad at age 20. I ended up being a single parent at age 23 where I was looking after my daughter on my own. So every single day I was having to get up and get her ready, take her to childminder and then after work, pick her up, come back home, read books to her, teach her, you know, um, feed her, put her into bed. And, and that was my life for a good number of years. And um, then, in you know, I did various jobs. I, I There was a time when I was literally, I was homeless. I was outside the homeless family unit in um, Finsbury Park near the Arsenal uh, Stadium and waiting to be given a bed and breakfast to stay in. Let me get rid of that. I don't know what that's doing here. Um, but Another person hounding you. <laughs> well, I, I think it may have been Steven Spielberg, but he doesn't know. Oh, there we go. He, 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 <laughs> Never he heard of him. That. I was just right. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I was in a... Um, so I was being given a bed and breakfast to stay in, and then it was a council flat, and, and all the struggles. But, you know, in through throughout all of that, I still kept up hope that what would happen is that my life would change and develop and 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 so it did and in fitness i embarked on that really back in 1983 before television you know i think uh, no i think it's really interesting what you said there about uh, your story and how you've not spoken about it much yet it's very important i think everybody's story is you know everybody's a product of of what they've been through and where they come from and so i think it's really great to actually hear about the man behind mm. the motivator mm. i coined that phrase you can have it though but what i, what I wanted to say was like, I, I i love this story about what you've gone through um up until the point where we start to get to know you because as mitch said like this is no exaggeration like you were pretty much the first time uh, our generation were exposed to what you might describe as like mainstream fitness uh, and, and i'm really intrigued by how you got that role how you got into it sure, um, sure. because i think now more than ever and this will probably overlap into a couple of other questions now more than ever this idea of exclusivity in health and fitness this idea yeah. of gatekeepers this idea of having to qualify i think what you were doing by being on our television screen in the morning was very yeah. much giving it to the people simplifying and saying this is for you and i'm here for you to give it to you so can you let us know about how you kind of went from this journey you've just described to, to being on the television sure sure i mean i can take you there because you look in everyone's life the sequence of events comes into place and we make decisions that take you down a road and then eventually you're in another road and people see you and now you're in a different direction and probably most of us are far removed from what we ever imagined we'd be doing because i'll always remember my careers officer telling me at age 16 that all you'd be good for evans is to work in an office and he was so right because the first job i got was working in an office. I was working for the East Midlands Gas Board in an office of 500 people. And you can imagine this office was probably about 100 feet long. And underneath it was the full extent of the computer room. Because in those days, right, the computers were huge. That took up everything. And that was my first job, which I stuck for two years. And it was people literally ripping their meters out, coming in, plonking the meter on my desk, saying, sort it out, it can't be right. I've been overcharged. That was my life. That's what I was doing. But I, I couldn't see where I could go. And then, you know, a friend invited me to come and learn about stock control. 
uh, in his company and I went to look up, learn about stock control and from there it kind of took me on a road where in fact one of the jobs I got when I came to London first of all was working for what was then called a company called Green Shield Stamps. Now the older people will know about Green Shield Stamps where you got every time you made a purchase you got a stamp and you put that in a book and depending on how many books you collected and what you were really going to get in the redemption center let's say you're going for a telephone Right, that may require 10 books to be completed. Once the 10 books are completed, you take it into the redemption center and you'd get your phone. That's where I worked. And then I also worked, the next job I got was Argus Distributors, was just starting in 1974. And I worked for Argus, setting up the very first store they had in Collindale, Northwest London. And I was doing it with all the stock that went into the very first catalog showroom that ever existed in this country. So you see what I'm getting at is, is that you make decisions that take you down one route. And often it's because of necessity. It's because you need to put food on the table. You need to actually look after your child. And for me, that's what it was as a single parent. All I could worry about, all I had to worry about was where's the next meal going to come from? So I made decisions and did different jobs. And then in 1983, I'll always remember walking into a leisure center in Harrow. And whilst I was there, I went in there to play badminton. And I could hear all this noise coming from what sound like down the corridor. So I wandered down this corridor and I looked through and through the window. And as I looked through, I saw what seemed like about 150 women exercising. I found out they were doing something called pop mobility. And what pop mobility was, was that you put a track of music on, you learn the moves to that track of music. And once you've learned it, you then move on to another track. And they were sweating away and they all knew what was happening. And every Tuesday I was back there. They probably thought I was a stalker. Because <laughs> every Tuesday I was there sitting behind, learning all the moves, what they were doing. And after about three months, I thought, you know what? How about I set up a, a class in a hall? So I saw two ladies at the front who really did it well. And, and they turned out to be mother and daughter. And I said, look, would you like to run a class for me in a hall? They said, where is it? Well, I didn't have a hall in mine. So I said, look, I'll be back in touch with you. Leave it with me. And I quickly started looking around and I found a hall in Neasden Lane, which is in London, right? A church hall that was being built. And the vicar said I could rent it. And I did. I rented it for a Tuesday night because I thought, let me rent it for the same evening. They're doing something in Harrow. And we set up my classes called Derek's classes. And these two ladies would run my pop mobility classes. And I was still at the back learning everything they were doing. But I felt, I felt drawn. It was like a magnet was pulling me towards exercise. There's no way I could walk away from it. And after about a month of them doing this, I thought I could do this myself. So I got rid of them and started my own classes, Derek's classes. I was doing the classes and the numbers kept filling up. The hall got so big, I had to move into a school hall in Mill Hill, where we would have once a week, at least 125 people turning up to my classes. And I was doing not just what they were doing, the movement to music, I was doing circuit training we had benches out in the school hall we were doing all kinds of stuff and uh, the, the fame of those classes spread and before i knew it the hard foundation wanted me to go around the country talking to people about exercise and i didn't know anything about it all i was doing was running a class so i said yes so they did up these big posters that go um uh, derek evans uh, exercise for life and they booked all these leisure centers across the country, about 12 of them. And my job was to go into these leisure centers. People would come in, we'd do a class, and we'd talk about exercise. But what I had to do before it started 
was to research. So I was doing everything, encyclopedias. I bought the very first book I bought on exercise was Dr. Cooper. He did a book called on aerobics. And that was my Bible. And I was rehearsing that. I, I met someone who worked for um, the YMCA who had done one of their courses. And I was picking their brains about what I should be doing. And that's how I developed my repertoire. And I went on this, this around the whole country thing. And before I knew it, I was being invited on to do a TV show with Gloria Honeyford because they'd heard about the popularity of the talks, the classes, and she invited me in and I did a, um, an exercise slot on her show on a Sunday. Uh, it went down a storm. She said to me, would I like to come and train her? I said, well, I'm not a personal trainer. She said, it doesn't matter. You can do it. <laughs> so she offered me some money three times a week to travel to her home. Right. And Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I used to travel from Mill Hill, which was an hour and a half each time to get down to Kent to train her. Dedication. Yeah, well, I had to do uh, it. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to let you know, it sounds like you've done a whistle-stop tour of North London. <laughs> I, used to, uh, I used to live in Finchley. My wife is from Finchley, so I'm very familiar with well. uh, a lot of the places that you've mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I know Finchley well. Um, but the thing is, right, but you know how it is, you feel like you're driven. You feel like um, yeah. you don't know where it's going to lead, but you feel you've got to go because often a lot of people are really slow to make decisions in their life. They worry about what the outcome is going to be. You do not know what the outcome is going to be with any decision, no matter how much you sit down and evaluate it. You've got to be prepared. You've got to believe in yourself that when you turn right, out of instead of turning left, that no matter what happens when you turn right, number one, more people are going to see you. Number mm -hmm. two, if you believe in your ability and you end up in deep water, you're going to swim. And so I believe, just make decisions. So I was traveling an hour and a half to train her, not knowing where it's going to leave. And every time she'd come down the stairs, we'd be training by the pool or having an exercise bike. We'd do some stuff. And she'd say, you ought to be on television. You're so good. You should be on television. And then I get invited. This is a lot of, I hope you've got time, right? Then I get invited onto <clears> another <throat> TV show this time. It's a new show called The Main Event that Chris Tarrant was presenting. And they'd asked for a fitness person to be on there. When I'm on the airplane coming up, going up to Manchester, where it was going to be filmed, sitting behind me was the Mad Lizzie and the Green Goddess. Now, they were in the 80s. Of course, they were, that's their time on television. This was now 91. Right? And I got talking to them. And what my heart sank when Mad Lizzie said, well, TVM has just been sold. It's been taken over by GMTV, and I'm going to be the new person on GMTV. And my heart sank. And I thought, I've been watching you for 10 years. It's time you hang your hat up and retire. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I'm sitting right by Eamon Holmes. He gets talking to me about... Is this flight you were on? <laughs> yeah. But the thing about it, what's interesting is, he got told about me by Gloria Honeyford, because they're both Irish. And they <laughs> knew each other from Ireland. So, so they're they all know each other. And they know each other. And he said, look, I want some of what Gloria is having. I said, well, it'd be different, but you can have some of it. Right? So I, um, I said, okay, let's set something up. I started training him. I used to travel down to the studios in South Bank. And whilst at the studios, he would come down with Lorraine Kelly. He would come down with Salimine, the presenter. Simon Biagi, another presenter. And I'd be training all of them. <laughs> in the green grass just by the studios and one day i'm sitting in the studios looking 
I'm waiting for Eamon to come down and I could see a gentleman walking in and I don't know what got me. He had a big belly, but I got up, I walked over, prodded him in the belly and he goes, <laughs> wait, get off, what are you doing? I said, listen, you need to sort that belly out. <laughs> he said, leave me alone, who the hell are you? And anyway, I stormed off, he's really annoyed, red faced the whole lot, got into the lift. So I said to receptionist, who was that? She says, that's the program controller of DMTV. <laughs> I thought, flip. I said, what floor is he on? He says, well, he's on the fifth floor. So next day, I got my exercise bike in the lift up to the fifth floor, knock on his door, no one was in, pushed my bike in and ran away. And the next day, I went back to his office, knocked on his office. I said, Mr. McHugh, that bike is in your office for a reason. You need to use it. He said, why are you hounding me? I said, because I found out you're the controller. That, num that means you've got power. That means you've got 200 people who look after you. You need to look after you. He said, I don't have time for this nonsense. Leave me alone. I said, if you don't make time, you're going to die. He froze. He said, okay. All right, what do you want? What are you suggesting? I said, I think you ought to take us some, a session with me. I said, I'm the guy who trains Eamon Holmes and Lorraine Kelly. He said, I heard about you. He said, okay, book me in for next Monday. I started training him. There we go, foot in the door, love it. And a, uh, you haven't heard of it, it's a longer story than that. It goes <laughs> on more, because that's just the beginning of the, the, the difficulty in breaking into television, because in 92, a black man doing fitness on television was just not on. The advertisers didn't want it, the program controllers couldn't see it working, they kept telling me that it had to be a white lady with two kids who would do exercise, but I wasn't put off. I don't have any chip on my shoulder. As far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned, if you're on the ground frothing at the mouth and need my blood, as long as it's the same group, I'm giving it to you. All right? Mm -hmm. It's your business. All right? Anyhow, cut a long story short. Let me cut to the chase, right? So there I am, um, walking through the offices one day, waiting for Eamon Holmes, but I just thought I'd go and take a look around because they gave me free passes. And I heard a lady on the phone saying to the Key Fit Association, we want you to come in and do a regular slot on GMTV, are you available? And I knelt down by the side of her and I said, don't, put the phone down, please put the phone down. Her name was Lollingham. She put the phone down. I said, give me a chance. She said, I've spoken to Peter McHugh. He told me all about you, but we can't do it. The advertisers say that they won't do it, blah, blah, blah. So we can't do it. She said, but things change. About a month later, I got a call from her saying, the girl who's going on holiday, uh, who, who takes the fitness slot at the moment is going on holiday would you like to fill in for her for two weeks? So I said, yes. 23rd of August, 1993, 22nd, they called me in to work out what I'm gonna do. And I said to him, well, I'm not used to being around television. Uh, how does it work? They said, well, you've got to rehearse it. I said, I don't rehearse. It comes from inside, I just, I just do it. She says, well, we need to know where to put the cameras. I said, well, can't you tell me how the cameras work? She said, well, there are five cameras. When the red light's on, it's on you. So if it's over here and the red light's on, it means that they're, I said, well, why don't I direct it? Why don't I speak to the camera like I'm speaking to them at home and say, okay, I'm going on the floor now, come down with me, right? And they're following me down. Okay, I'm getting up off the floor. Okay, I'm gonna work this arm now, zoning on that. And that's what I did. 23rd of August, 1993, I did it. Went off, everybody phoned in and said, give us more. And that was it, the rest is history. Fantastic. Love that. So Such what's the lesson story. to learn? What's the lesson to learn, Michael and Jason? Number one, opportunity knocks at the door but sometimes we're not listening, mm -hmm. but it only knocks once. 
You have got to seize every opportunity in your life, number one. Number two, obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off your goal. So if you've got somewhere you want to get to, don't get dissuaded by negativity, by people saying it can't be done. Often the people telling you it can't be done are people who don't try anything in their life. They're sitting down waiting for things to come to them. Number three, you can't wait for your ship to come in. You've got to swim out to it. No one owes you anything in this life, right? Go out and get whatever you're due. And number four, the price of success is perseverance. Never, ever quit. Never give up, no matter what. The successful man is the one who continues after the failure has said it can't be done. And that's my life lesson for you guys. I love that. You, obviously, you know that we live by those rules because otherwise we wouldn't have got you on the show. <laughs> all of that. And I do feel slightly less bad after hearing that you harassed that guy about harassing you. So no, amazing story and absolutely totally resonates with me. All of those things. Thank you. Yeah, no, completely agree. It's, you're just kind of driven by the pure enjoyment of it, I guess. So I'm assuming like as soon as you started doing these classes, you just kind of got the fitness bug and that was you. Did, did you think like, right, this is a career path that I want forever. I always want to work in fitness. I, I, didn't, know where just... was, I, I didn't know where it was going to lead, Michael. Mm -hmm. I, did, I didn't have any idea. My only view of other fitness people is that they're on and then they disappear you don't hear anything mm -hmm. but the one thing i learned from a company i was in uh, i used to work for a company called rank hovis mcdougal and they sent me away on some courses called the essentials of management courses and one of the key ingredients of that course was they taught you about marketing and selling and mcdougal's used to advertise their flower even though the only difference between their market share and home pride was only 1%. They advertised every single day. And the reason why they advertised is because if they didn't, people would think they've died and gone and they'll go to the other brand. So I realized the importance of marketing. Also, Henry Ford said, the person who doesn't advertise or doesn't market himself is a bit like the person who turns off the light because he's trying to save money. In other words, you've got to market yourself. So I had to come up with an image. I thought, if I'm going to be in a white top and a black pair of shorts, I'll be gone tomorrow. I'll be gone. I had to find a way in which I could engage people, where in fact, maybe the subject matter was what I was wearing. Maybe it's the music. Maybe it's the attitude. No, Jason, that won't work, mate. So that's how come the Unitard was born, right? The Unitard was born. And then everything else kind of grew out of necessity. The bum bag was all because I used to put the mic down my back. And when I'm lying on the floor, it was uncomfortable. So I had to come up with somewhere to put my mic. Uh, so I had someone make up this bum bag, which now is a big fashion item, but it's got two little holes at the back. So when the mic is inside, the aerial and the lead come out the back. So you'll never know I'm wearing a mic or where the pack is. And, and they, they like, the I think finding out how a magic trick's done. <laughs> yeah. I wondered about the bum bag. And... Yeah, I know. That, that is it. That's, how, that's what I used to do. And so the whole image grew. And initially it was, I used to have baseball caps I used to wear. Then it became, you know, I started having stuff made up that I could wear in my head. And so it just kind of evolved. But it's all to do with the colors, the attitude. But also, and this is the most important thing. As, child, as a child, I remember my parents, if they wanted me to eat vegetables, they would dress it up in a pie. They wouldn't say, there's the broccoli on the side of your plate, eat it. It's the same thing with health and fitness. We have got to stop beating people with a big stick. We've got to disguise it up with fun and attitude and, and make people enjoy themselves 
and that way they don't think of it as exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, you, it's funny you say that. Well, sorry, to interrupt you because what no. I've always felt about you is the energy you bring and the fun you bring and not just with your image but just everything you do like everybody knows that by now that fantastic clip of you on tv during the lockdown doing the spy on the neighbors because <laughs> they're breaking lockdown, right it's fun yeah. because i think somewhere along the line working out became a kind of um chore uh, at best or a kind of masochistic practice where you you know you get this culture and me and mitch talk about this a lot about this idea of you know no pain no gain like it has to be uh, arduous and it has to be something that you struggle for i just wanted to ask you i mean just to kind of elaborate on what you were saying there why do you think that happened and do you think that you know that your brand i guess as you're saying they're dressing it, the vegetables up with something nicer do you think that's the solution to what obviously the, the situation we're in just now no, there's not one solution, Jason, because I believe the market is huge. And there are people in each sector of that market, either to with age or gender, right, where certain things will suit them, right? Now, there are lots of people out there who are quite happy doing loads of burpees and press-ups and sit-ups, but you've got to get to that level. Mm -hmm. When you're young, it's very easy to get to that level. When you're middle-aged and getting on, to get to that level of doing loads of press-ups and burpees it takes time. So the message has got to be is you have got to find what you enjoy doing, right? So if you enjoy going for long runs, that's fine. I've never seen a happy runner in my life. Right? Agreed. I don't, care, I don't care what anybody says. He may enjoy what he's doing, but it never comes out of his face. I'm guaranteed that the only time a runner is happy is when it ends and they're standing in the shower and it's cascading over them. They go, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Now, if that's what it takes for you to get to that beautiful place, fine. For me, all it takes is let me have some fun with some arm movement, some shoulder movement, some good music. And before you know it, I am sweating. After 10 minutes, I'm sweating like crazy. If I can get you to that point where you're sweating, you will then enjoy the shower the same as someone who just ran 26 miles. Mm -hmm. right? And the person who ran, I've presented some awards a few years back to is a 26 point whatever it is club. And every single runner who came forward was limping, was bending forward, right? Because what happens, you will get overuse injuries the more you run, unless you're running on a good surface. Whereas what I'm talking about is variety in what you do. So some days it could be aerobics. Some days it could be weight training. Another day it could be stepping. It could be swimming. It could be going for walks. The more variety you put into your regime, the better. And that's where exercise teachers have got it wrong. Number one, exercise teachers hold on to the people who come to their classes wrong if you want to do a good service to the people who come to your classes recommend they go to someone else's class recommend they go and exercise do pilates down the road if you're a yoga teacher recommend that they go and try that new yoga they're doing the road which you don't teach because guess what they will respect you for the fact that you're looking after them and they're still going to be loyal to you because if you're good at what you do they're going to come back anyhow you got nothing. if you're no good 
they're going to leave anyhow. Honestly, I, I completely agree with that. That's, that's the fitness industry summed up though, isn't it? Like it's, it's a problem with personal trainers at the moment is I think a lot of them are scared to refer away to other people because they yeah. think they're going to lose them as a client, where in you fact, don't. it's actually just going to make you look like a better practitioner. Absolutely, Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. It makes, it makes what, what people will say is, listen, you know what? My trainer just recommended they go and try this class. Before mm -hmm. you know it, they're talking about you as the trainer. Whereas before, yeah, I have training once a week with my mm -hmm. trainer. Now they're going to say, you know what? My trainer's recommended another class I go to. And why has he done that? Because he cares about me. He mm -hmm. cares about me. And that's important. And I did a talk last week, last Friday, at uh, the IFS Fitness Summit. Mm -hmm. And I talked about this industry, how as trainers, we have got to stop there's no saying if you want to go fast you go alone if you want to go far you go together right and okay. and i said that that's what you've got to you've got to recognize right that in fact you're only as good as the last time you trained that person and one day he's going to go and try a class that you could have recommended that person to go to and because you didn't recommend it they drop you like hot lead because they realize you're only interested in their money if you show that you're interested in them as a person the money will come well, there you so, go. Yeah, that's so right. true. No, no, that that's honestly a really, really important point. And we've we've spoken about this a bit on the podcast before in the past, where these personal trainers are a bit reluctant to engage with other coaches because they are a little bit scared. And I think if mm. more if more coaches took the approach that you just mentioned there, Derek, then I think the industry would just be a much more welcoming well, place, it, and it people would. would be worn out for exercise. Yeah, it would. absolutely. You know, we, look, seventy five percent of the population out there really don't do enough ex exercise. Mm -hmm. In the over sixty fives. They did a survey because I, I do some work for the Center for Aging Better. In the over 65, nearly 80% reckon there's no point in actually them being active. That is a crazy figure. Don't they realize there's a curative power to exercise? Why do I look so good at age 68, right? Because exercise works, right? Mm -hmm. And you stand up straight and everybody needs to learn that lesson. And personal trainers or anyone watching this now, needs to not just concentrate and getting people to to ride 10 miles getting them to to do some aerobics you need to get their mind in gear you need to say to them listen you're important but you know what's more important your family mm -hmm. and in looking after your family right you need to be all right but you need to do it together so in other words personal trainers should be saying it's great training you mr jones but how about you come along with your wife next time bring her along i'll do it for free as well Right. And actually, she's done a couple of sessions with free. Then you can start paying half price. That's the way you develop the market to make sure me, more people take up fitness and health because not enough people are doing so. And that's why for me, setting up my online club was important because I was, you know, I was wanting to actually get to that older market to make them understand that if you want to be independent as you grow older, you have got to be active. The greatest gift you can give yourself <laughs> as you get older is to be an independent, healthier you. And the only way you're going to do that is by being active. Who do I hear out there shouting out that tea's ready? I can hear them. I think it might be a bit of noise in my background. I apologize. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. professional guy over there. I have to deal with it all the time. But no, I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think what that comes down to is this idea of labels. And we talk about this a lot. Like a lot of people label themselves as someone who doesn't do fitness or I see a lot, I work with a lot of kids. They'll do it. I do, uh, I'm a Ninja Warrior coach and what adults will do, what their parents will do is go, oh, my kid's not sporty. And it turns out the kid's not sporty because they don't want to play football. They're sure, not sporty sure. because they're not an athletic kid. Sure. But as soon as you label them that, 
all of a sudden they've made the decision that you're not yes. that. And I think what you said there about the, the older generation, not necessarily just the older generation, but the older generation maybe got us too late for me to start or, or I'm old, I'm supposed to feel sore. Um, and I think as soon as you do that, you get trapped in this box. It's so hard to get well, out of. But no, I was no, going to, right. yeah. You're right, Jason. You're totally right. Because, uh, you know, the way I see it is that you only get old when you stop being young. I'm actually only 10 years of age. Yeah. And you look great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But I was going to I was going to let you uh, elaborate a little bit more on your motivation club, because obviously that, as you said there, yes. um, yeah. is designed to engage people that maybe ordinarily wouldn't uh, engage yeah. with fitness in a maybe sure. more traditional sense. Sure. Sure. I mean, I mean, I, it's, it's a horrible term, but I call it a deconditioned market because the condition you're in is really important. Right. And so I wanted to put together, in fact, 30 years ago, I identified that this market was going to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And nothing would have been nothing is provided for this older market in television doesn't provide anything. And yes, still, this medium is such a powerful medium to get to the older market. The older market has got more disposable income. They actually are far more loyal because if you look after them, they'll come back time and time again. But the one thing they want is service because they value every single pound that's taken them hours to earn it. They value it and they want to make sure that they spend it right. But if you give them good service, they'll be loyal. So literally a year ago, um, I ran into a company that got in touch saying, look, they wanted me to do some talks on their training platform. And we got talking. They called the Olive Group and they said, look, you know, uh, is there anything that you particularly like to do? I said, look, this club 30 years ago, I wanted to set it up. We wrote up the idea for this club. It was going to be called Center Stage. It was ST for Saint and Age in the middle. And the idea was that this club would be a kind of meeting place for people, not just for activity. Because when you make the focus too much on getting fit physically, you isolate a load of people. But if you, if you say, look, this is a well-being place where all the key elements of well-being will be available. So it's your mental uh, fitness. It's actually saying to you, look, here's a sensible eating plan. It's not a diet. It's saying to you, listen, here are some stories from people who have had struggles in their life. Maybe, you know, there's one lady I interviewed. She had a, both hands and feet had to be amputated. She just had now uh, both hands put back on. Not, you know, she had someone else's hands put on, transplant. And wow. her story is incredible. <laughs> so therefore, if we're sitting at home thinking, oh, my world, my world, my world, there's always someone worse than you. So when you read or listen to stories like that, it lifts you up. So I've created this platform, which is the place that you go to. Now, I said to you at the beginning that I'm so far removed from anything I imagined. When I said at this club, I thought, well, it's going to go out into the marketplace. Deconditioned market is going to buy into it. Instead, what's happening is people like the NHS have started coming to adopt us. We've got GP referral programs going on now where they're referring patients to us. Four hospitals in central London, our big main hospitals, have started recommending patients who are going in to have cancer operations to now come onto our platform where we've created a place on there for them where there's a two-week, four-week, or six-week program that they go through because what they've found is that even if you've only got two weeks before an operation, if you exercise in a controlled manner, you get to a level of fitness which can be beneficial after your operation. So I've got these four hospitals now who are recommending patients pre-op and post-operative. We've got the NHS Trust, loads of them now, who are buying into what we're doing and saying that, listen, we want to re recommend it to our frontline staff for them to take part. So this is how it's developing, and it just seems to be opening up doors all over the place. 
and it's just incredible it's great incredible I, I mean you can just sense your passion and excitement for this project as well derek which is really nice to see and uh, i think that's that's i mean it's why you've had such a long and successful career isn't it i guess you can genuinely tell that you're doing this because you want to help people and there's not enough of that in the industry so that's why i just want to say thank you for that like it's it's really refreshing to see someone kind of really championing those people that tend to get right. left out when it comes to health and yeah. fitness yeah they do they do michael and i believe if i do my job right and it, and which is a job i love i mean i can talk about this till the cows come home right because i mean i've benefited from the, the, the public has been so good to me, thank God, you know, mm -hmm. because I mean, here I am. I started in 93, so it's nearly 30 years, right? I go, I started on GMTV and I'm still embraced by men, everybody, right? In the street, you know, grizzly beards are on my chin, the whole lot. <laughs> oh, that, thank, <laughs> thank God for all of that. But you know, what's really important is for the fitness industry to understand that we need to create an area between the person trying to make a decision about being active and the facilities, mm -hmm. because the jump from you leaving your armchair and deciding you're going to get fit, whether it's swimming, whether you're going to go to a health club or whatever, it's a big leap. Mm -hmm. And we need to smooth that way. And I hopefully fit in the middle because what I'm trying to do is to basically say, look, do some of what I do and that will prepare you for something better. But then gyms have got to start standing up because I hate the way they've gone. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Imagine I've made a decision to be a member of your gym. So I come there and day one, you show me around. By the end of the day, once I've signed up, you give me the key. And you tell me to close the door behind me and let myself in when I'm ready. Shame on you, gyms. Shame on you. Because the only time you hear from a gym then is you never hear from them again until you stop your standing order. They never call you up and go, John, we haven't seen you in class in a long time. Where are you? Why aren't you coming back? And I believe that what gyms have to do, they've got to go back to that kind of social setting where you make it mm -hmm. that you, you do things where socially people want to come to the gym. Whether you hold a night where you're doing bingo or you have a night where you're playing cards. So people don't just come into go on a machine on their own and then leave. You make it so that they want to hang around. Right? And I think that that is a solution to making sure more people are engaged in wellness is to make gyms more sociable. You're spot on, Derek. Like that's kind of uh, my number one rally cry has always been that. In fact, the gym that I work with, um, I can tell that probably the number one reason why most people come to the gym that I work with is the social element, and we saw that impacted hugely during the pandemic. But I think people don't realize that, you know, like uh, as you get older, you know, when you're young, there's lots of opportunities to meet new people and, mm -hmm. and stay in touch with friends. But as you get older, those opportunities lessen and lessen and lessen. Yeah. And so if you can have something like a gym where you yeah. enjoy the activity, you get to meet like-minded people, yeah. um, and you get to do that thing together as well. I always think that yeah. that's an important thing, you know, because you're totally. pushing your boundaries, you're learning, but you're doing it as a group. It's shared experience. I think that's massively important. And I love what you said there about gyms and the responsibility gyms have, because again, another thing I parrot on about, and I'm sure the listeners are sick of me saying, is this idea of the commercialization of fitness, of health and fitness. Mm -hmm. It's been made a commodity, it's been something that's bought and sold, and it's only available to people that can afford it. And yeah. I think that, that brings it on nicely to this idea of the work you've been doing recently with Social Bite, which is a charity here, a homelessness charity here mm -hmm. in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. You were just recently at their Break the Cycle event. I'd love you to, to talk a little bit about that, but maybe more generally talk about this idea of the importance 
of maybe low-income people, uh, people who are, are maybe see themselves priced out of health and fitness, whether it be, you know, expensive foods, uh, supplementation, you have to have that expensive gym membership, you have to have that right personal trainer. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the importance of speaking to those people and, and making sure that they know that there is an accessibility to fitness and it is sure. just as important for them. Sure, absolutely right. I mean, you know, the thing is, uh, Social Bite for me is a wonderful charity. I think any charity that takes you from this point where you're at your lowest and they take you and propel you to a height has got to be applauded because a lot of charities they spend most of the money that comes in on their wonderful offices and very little on the people who need it. Social bite will take you, because there are many reasons why you could have been made homeless. It could be yeah. psychological, it could be financial, it could be family pressures, it could be loads of reasons. They don't critique you. They take you in. And then what they do is they have all the support mechanism in place. So that way they can slowly but surely get you back into society so you can stand up on your own two feet. So it's the old thing about, it's very easy for someone to give you a fish, but that means you'll only eat for today. But if they teach you how to fish, you will eat forever. And what we need to do in the gym settings, and I, I went into a gym the other day, a new one just opened up. This gym had no exercise room. All it had was machinery. When you do that, it means that you're priced a load of people out in the marketplace. People who in fact, We'll be quite happy just coming in and doing a legs bums and thumbs class or an aerobic class and um, and i think that gyms are missing a trick and to be honest if i had my day all over again i would open up gyms where in fact there's very little equipment and i'd make it so it's accessible to everybody classes would be fun they'd be large there'd be a community of people in there who are all enjoying themselves right and i think that if you have classes you're more likely to get people to meet one another, to have fun in that kind of social get together than if you have just running machines in a line and, and, and bikes in a line. And I hate the way gyms have gone. I'm sorry, it's, that's my critique. I think what it's done is actually got rid of a lot of people from the marketplace. And the point about uh, the, the fitness industry is this. They come up with new things and new ways and new games and new ideas, which are not. They're actually rebranding of old ideas because you can't reinvent the wheel, right? That's all you're doing. But in doing so, what they have done is that they have given the person who regularly exercise new choices because they almost feel like if I regularly do a step class, let's not call it stepping anymore. Let's call it benching. All that does is to me, it just makes me think I'm doing something different because they've changed the music. Uh, I mean, but it doesn't bring in new people into the industry. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to get more people in. The only way you're going to do that is not by equipment. I believe you do that via classes. And in terms of everybody who maybe is on a social level where they can't afford gyms, I'd say do not let that be the reason why you don't get fit. Because what, what it's going to do to you, if you start being able to just go in out for walks, go for a run, if you've got family around you, don't say the kids can't play football or they're not very sporty. You start kicking a ball out in the garden and guess what? They're going to come and join you, right? You start going to activities where they can take part with you and you share the moment, like swimming. That's sporting, right? All of a sudden, there you are. You're both in the pool together. So we need to get back to doing things together. And if you can't afford a gym, those are the things you can do. The local authorities have inexpensive ways in which you can actually get involved, but you don't have to go there. You can do so much on your own. I'll get your friends together, form your own class, do your own thing. That's what I suggest. 
Couldn't agree more. I think you should absolutely still start those games <laughs> up, Derek. It's not too late for it. I'll join. I, 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 I thought about you know I saw a car, an old car showroom, which was part in the open because of the cars and part indoors, and I thought you know what, that would make a great location where we could have outdoor setup and indoor. You could have a trap that goes around it. You could have big blow heaters for when the weather's cold, but you could still be training outside. You could have those same heaters turned into fans for when it's too hot, and that was my dream. And I thought. Do I really want to do it today, 68? <laughs> Maybe not. Hey, Mo, you told us, don't overthink it. Don't <laughs> question yourself. Turn into it and believe in your but, abilities. I believe but, you could do it. Maybe you need to come and do it for me because if you saw, I mean, fitting you guys in was so difficult. My life is so full. Yeah. We're if in. you formally invite me to come and start a Mr. Motivator gym, if you, I will do it. <laughs> Jason would drop everything for it as well. I'd be I gone. Hear you. I, bear <laughs> that, I bear that in mind. I reckon I could get the sponsorship for that kind of setup. I really honestly do. I think Absolutely. we could. I love yeah, the sound yeah. of it. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, no, yeah it sounds great. fantastic. And also, another question I wanted to actually ask was yeah. um, you, you spend all of your time kind of inspiring the nation, motivating the nation to get fit and healthy. And I wanted to know who motivates the motivator. Like, are there any people Whoa. in the industry that you really look up to? Uh, or it might not even be people within the industry that kind of really spur you on to do what you do. Look, look, I, there, there's no one who spurred me on to do what I did except necessity. Except, mm -hmm. you know, look, homelessness, daughter looking after, all those kind of things spurred me on. When it came to the fitness was only, um, I, I, I embraced the whole fitness industry immediately. I remember I used to travel to LA. There used to be a place there called the Voigt Center. She's still around. Her name is Karen Voigt, V-O-I-G-H-T. And this was a place that came up with brand new ideas for fitness. And I remember going on this, there's a foundation I used to go to called the International Dance and Exercise Association. And they run these conferences every year all over America. And I used to go that, that was my source of um, inspiration. Those things gave me the ammunition in terms of what I wanted to do. But the important thing as instructors, you must never ever overdo it. That's number one, mm -hmm. right? Don't do too many classes. If you're doing a lot of personal training, Ride a bike when the person's running. Don't feel you've got to run with them, right? Don't feel you've got to do every burpee. You demonstrate, you stand, and you make sure that they do it correctly. There used to be a guy in the business, I shan't mention his name, Australian personal trainer, and he used to train a very famous um, film director called Michael Winner. And I used to go around uh, the home, and he used to be, he used to smoke like crazy, this personal trainer. And he put the guy on the, the jogging machine, and he'd be in the fridge. This is the personal trainer. He'd be in the fridge eating the food while, and he was huge. He was an animal. He was a beast. I think what we should do as well, personal trainers, don't swear, don't curse. Really have a real good standard, right, that people look up to. Be an example to everybody that you see. Uh, recognize that you're in an industry, right, which you, is so beneficial to you. It's going to help you to keep fit and active, but also it's going to help other people at the same time, right? So embrace it. Spread the word. Recommend other people to classes, right? But the most important thing of all is every day get up in the mirror and be really proud of who you are. Be proud of this wonderful gift you've been given, right? And it is a gift, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're training people who sometimes have real bad manners. Don't tolerate bad manners. I remember there was a guy I was training and he used to fart in the class. And I'd walk off. I got rid of him. I said, no. He said, where are you going? I said, no, sorry, I'm not having that kind of nastiness. Mm -hmm. And I walked off. You don't tolerate. Stick to your standard. Make sure nobody ever brings you down, right? That's important. But don't overdo it because your body will break down. 
it will break down. I, I'm, I'm really interested in what you said about personal trainers as well, about the not swearing aspect as well. I mean, uh, conversationally, occasionally people swear, that's great, but there does seem to be a common theme within the fitness industry at the moment. Yep. There's a few very prominent uh, fitness figures, yep. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about yep. when I say that, yep. um, who are very, uh, they kind of thrive yep. on controversy and being quite extreme in their approach. It's not my style, I'm not a big fan at all, but I just kind of like yep. to know your thoughts on the approach of those trainers. We don't necessarily have to name them, but what no, do you no, think no. about we won't that? Name them. We won't name them. I mean, I was uh, at this um, convention, as I said, last week, where I did a talk. And the first thing I said is, personal trainers, swearing is the worst thing in the world. You lower the whole standard and tone of who you are. And if ever mean you've got to resort to swearing, that's bad. Now, I said, do you agree with me in general? Most people agreed with me. There's some who won't. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who are driven by the whole social media thing. And it's all about how many followers you can get. And the more controversial more off the wall they are the more followers they pick up but who are they influencing because one thing you've got to remember our followers is this you could have a million followers but you try to monetize a million followers it's so easy for me to say i follow you or i subscribe to you but you try to get money out of that person that's the real worth of a follower All right so i say you may have small amount of followers nurture them make them feel good make them feel like they belong and then you can monetize that then it's easier to do it. So some of those guys with their half a million followers, I've seen the stuff they put online. I hate it. I don't like it. Right? I think it's the wrong way we're going. The industry's got a bit young in terms of people out there. Yes, it's good that it's young, but they need examples from those older ones of how they should be and how they should behave going forward. Uh, and I'll continue to speak out against it because guess what? I'm 68 and no one can attack me or say what they like. Well, oh, so you're a legend. You're a legend. You earned your spot. But I think it's quite interesting what you've said there about this idea of who are they influencing? Because I do think that's important. Because I think if you're if you're getting attention for negativity, now don't get me wrong, I think maybe I, I'm, I'm, I like to be a bit controversial here and there, but I think ultimately, if you want to spread negativity constantly and to make that the foundation of why people come to you, ultimately you're gonna get fickle followers oh, who will sure. turn on you on a dime. And so, as you said there earlier about loyalty from, you don't necessarily want to call them customers or, or followers or anything, but from your people, from your audience, from your community, you don't get that loyalty from, no. um, you know, from the negative um, no. kind of no, things that you spread. You get it from the positivity and, and, and it might be a little bit harder. It might take you a little bit longer. But yeah. if you stay true to that, people are going to see how authentic you are and ultimately that's, that's you're right. going to end up winning. That's right. And that's why, you know, to be honest, I, I, I get asked by the press all the time, what do you think of Joe Wicks? And let me tell you something. Hard work pays off. You said it at the beginning, hard work pays off. He's been around a long time and he deserves whatever success he's getting. Now, his market is very segmented, right? Um, and I'm sure he's making quite a lot of money from doing what he's doing. And I, you know, I congratulate him. I like him as a person. I've met him and we'll, we're probably going to be doing some stuff together, right? Is that um, an exclusive? I'm not giving you an exclusive. I said Whoa. probably. <laughs> um, but I think, but I think, and I applaud anybody who works hard and have mm -hmm. their moment when it all collides and everything collides, and you and you're there. Michael Jackson it happened to him with Thriller, and after that, he spent years trying to recover what happened with Thriller, and it never happened because there's a moment when, in fact, it's bang, it's out there, everything is happening. I'm very blessed that I've been able to almost kind of reinvent myself every every few years and i'm still here so i'm very blessed the important thing for anybody who's in the public eye is only give the press what you feel 
they need to know. Don't let them know that, you know, you bought a ice bath or a new bedroom, you know, keep it, keep true to who you are. Keep selling the story of wellness and then inspire and you try and be an inspiration to everybody out there. So that way you just pull more people away from the sofa and get them to start moving their body. Wait, so Mo, you're not rating Michael Jackson bad? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. It's a good album. It's history. <laughs> history? Is that a Michael Jackson pun? His story. His story. You can't deny it. But it happens to everybody, Jason, because, you know, I remember mm-hmm. my first video. The very first video I did, we sold 1.7 million copies. <laughs> Never been beaten. It's still the biggest selling um, fitness video ever. All the subsequent <laughs> ones I did, we sold probably three, 400,000 copies of each one. And I did a whole series of about six of them. So, so I'm still, I've still got the record for those. You won't see those kind of sales any longer. But what yeah. I'm getting at is Joe Wicks, the first lockdown, he probably picked up, he probably got about 4 million followers now. Right? So he's very, he's huge. But you can't monetize 4 million followers. And you can't get them all to spend 10.99. Whereas I managed to get probably 3 million people to spend 10 99. Yeah. It's the theory of a thousand true fans, isn't it? It's this idea yeah. that if you have yeah. a smaller group of dedicated fans, yeah, uh, that's superior to having yeah. millions and millions of kind of fair weather yeah. fans. And I think it's, yeah. it's absolutely true. And I think but, but what's great though. Yeah. Yeah. What's great though, Jason, sorry to interrupt. Is that, is the that's fact it. that, it means that he holds an event that he'll get a lot of people turning up to it, which is mm-hmm. great. And I, I, I actually do like what I like him because there's a kind of simplicity about him I really like, you know. Yeah, and we've he, we've he done episodes. The board. Yeah, we've done episodes on him in the past, and we we kind of agreed there. We that was kind of the the summary of those chats, wasn't it? Yeah. Where he just he seems a really likable guy, and I think he's doing it for the right reasons as well. Like he's yeah yeah he's he's likable, and he, listen, he's a man who used to he was out in the cold getting two people or five people to come and exercise. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it was, and and now you know he can get you know he can get loads to come and do it, and that's got to be applauded because that is a big contribution to um the fitness industry, and in many ways we are at different. Uh, spe- uh, end of the spectrum, really, in that he's really perceived as being schools coming up, whereas me is probably more. Well, actually, I'm doing schools at the moment. I got schools right <laughs> at age 85 years of age doing it. See, so, personally, you know, I've always thought of Joe Wicks as a knockoff, Mister Moore. <laughs> and I don't see it as that. I see him as being Joe Wicks. I know. I'm just, I'm just poking fun at him. I put fun at him all the time. But ultimately, what you've said there is, yeah. you can't dress down a guy who's caught, has brought so much positive attention to fitness and as we said before about this idea of encouraging people who otherwise would not be engaged in fitness Absolutely how can right. you criticize that how can you criticize yeah, you that can't. you can't but i like to have a bit of fun with him that's all yeah i know i know i know everyone does but that's what happens with success but then you see there's a difference isn't there yeah, he's not a motivator exactly. is he? he's not he's not there's only one one there's a reason we didn't ask him to do the podcast. <laughs> well, you obviously don't like nose. <laughs> hey, we, I would hound him, but we don't want him. We want you. I hear you. I hear you. But good. Love it. Derek, Derek, this is amazing. So we wanted to kind of finish off the episode with a little bit of like a quick fire round question thing, if that's okay. okay. So, go ahead. Yep. Right, we've got a couple of quick fire questions. Some okay, of them are either or, some of them are related to the 90s, some of them not. So we're going to ask you, Mo, 
Who's your favorite 90s TV presenter? Lorraine Kelly or Eamon Holmes? Uh, both. Oh. Oh. To be fair, they do both listen, so we don't want to <laughs> yeah. so Dipl who, Diplomatic. Yeah. Who was your fashion icon for the leotard, bum bag, and kind of the hats? Did you have anyone that you kind of took inspiration from to for that look? My reflection. Oh, yeah. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> Mo, here's an important one. You've mentioned Michael Jackson bad. Do you have a favorite track to work out to, a favorite hey, artist no, to work out to? now, McFadden and Whitehead. He's we didn't we didn't feed him the questions before he's literally that fat <laughs> yeah. uh, so this you. is a bit more 90s inspired so which 90s group would you reunite spice girls or backstreet boys backstreet boys because i can listen to them any time of day spice girls, spice you girls are an institution you gotta, you're still gonna have a drink inside of you <laughs> here here i'll take that you've kind of covered this one already we were going to ask you what you keep in your bum bag but you've told us it's basically the the mic pack so um if you had I'm a, i did mention my wrist i didn't mention it my resuscitator my um <laughs> my in my my needles my um um all kinds of stuff but i can't tell the rest of it. useful yeah, stuff and the rest yeah. i thought it would just be all green m m's <laughs> very clever jason but no thank you, thank you and final question so who was your favorite gladiator now interesting isn't it i, I did gladiators i remember back in 1997 <gasps> i was on there right and my favorite i actually interviewed her the other week was jet yeah right answer <laughs> oh, really? i'm a big fan of jet yeah yeah i met Dan, jet a couple of years ago and she's still like yourself you were talking about um you know continually evolving it's amazing to see the work she's doing now and she's yeah, not just being yeah. bogged down and labeled with that but yeah. also at the same time real inspiration watching gladiator she was a a machine do you see someone walking my room then do you see that i did i tried to pretend it that's right. It's just that's in the my, corner. That's my daughter good. just walked in just then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Don't worry. I've, you've had my wife in a work call in the other room. Your daughter's walked in. It's all good. She's, the trying, she's trying working. to bribe me. She's <laughs> trying to bribe me. She's obviously after something because look what she's brought me. Now, it's she interesting. Guess what? I have once a month either M&Ms or a bounty bar with plain crisps. That's my treat oh, once a month. A good snack. It's wow even the rock has a cheat day every week but you you only do one a month one a month it takes great discipline though i tell you yeah <laughs> absolutely i can yeah. do that i can do that fantastic and derek thank you so so much for coming on the show uh, once again i apologize for having you for so long but to be honest it was worth it because it's been a fascinating chat i know so many people are going to be excited to listen to this interview and we really appreciate your kind of openness you, and, and honesty here thank you so much for coming yeah. on thank you very much what a fantastic way to celebrate 100 episodes of the podcast yeah thank you so much jason and mark no it's been a pleasure great being with you i wish you all the very best yeah fantastic thank you thank you so you much too. Okay, mate. thanks this is episode 100 Cheers. of just the fitness tip with mike ujoa and jason ald edinburgh's number one fitness podcast and we will see you all again next week keep on tipping